let's uh, let's open with prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we we just thank you for the great privilege we have of having your word, of, of being able to come together to to worship you, to study your word. Um, God, I just pray that um, just as we continue to study uh, how we got the Bible, that uh, Lord, we would just uh, grow in our, our love and appreciation for, for your word. Uh, Lord, that it would be something that we don't just learn about academically, but Lord, that it would be something that uh, we just were driven to read your word, to uh, to study it, to meditate on it. Um, God, your word is the power of salvation. Um, it is the thing that uh, guides us in how we are to live. And, uh, God, I just pray that we would have the, the proper reverence for it. Um, just, uh, Lord, even as we were uh, discussing last night, uh, just the, the easy access we have to your word where we are not persecuted and your, your word is not illegal in this country just uh, sometimes makes us where we just don't value it as we should. But God, I just pray that um, that the the love for your word would just grow in the hearts of your people. And uh, Lord, that you would be glorified in all things. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right. <clears throat> so we're continuing our study of how we got the Bible. Um if, uh, if you want to see the, the slides for this, then you may just have to look at it uh, on the internet afterwards, um, but uh, I'm going to use them as lesson notes. But uh, as we have uh, been discussing this, um, we have uh, talked about uh, things from a historical perspective. We've talked about uh, the, the copying of the scriptures. We've talked about the corruption and restoration of the scriptures. Uh, we've talked about the canon as far as like which books go in the Bible. We've talked about uh, translation, the, uh, the work that has been done by God's people over the centuries to translate uh, the Word of God and the reasons for translation, and methodology of translation, various things like that. Um, but so far, everything we've talked about, you know, it's it's been kind of from the perspective of, um, you know, we're starting from the Word of God exists. It's, it's there, it's been completed, and like, how did it come down to us uh, in terms of uh, just, you know, from the time that it existed there, how did we wind up with our physical copies of the Bible that we have today, or digital copies for that matter? Um, but uh, we, we do still have to ask the question, well, how did, how did the Word of God come to be um, in the realm of mankind? Um, and so we have to ask the theological question of where, did, you know, how did we get the Bible? Where did the Bible come from? Um, obviously, the the easy answer is, you know, came from God, right? I mean, that's so we believe that the the Bible is the Word of God. It came from God. Um. So this morning we're going to start talking about uh, inspiration and inerrancy. Um, now, uh, we're primarily going to be focusing on inspiration this morning, but uh, inspiration and inerrancy are very much tied together, uh, but they are uh, worthy of being distinguished. Um, inspiration uh, relates to the source of Scripture. Uh, when we're talking about inspiration, we're talking about where did the Bible come from. Um, and again, the simple answer is the Bible came from God. When we talk about inerrancy, we're talking about the, the character of Scripture. 
Um, so, you know, just the word inerrancy, that it's inerrant, it, there's no error in it. That's uh, just simple answer. We're going to dive into that in more detail, but uh, a simple definition is that it's, it's, uh, it's free from error. Now, inerrancy is something that just, it's, it's the necessary consequence of inspiration. It just flows from inspiration. Um, if the, the scriptures come from God, then they are going to be free from error, just because of the nature of God. God is a God who does not lie. He is a God of truth. Um, and so they're very much related, uh, but the, the inerrancy of scripture uh, basically is, is a consequence of uh, the inspiration of scripture. Uh, now one thing I would uh, highly recommend if you want to study this in more detail is looking at the Chicago Statement on Biblical Inerrancy. Um, it's, it's just a, a really wonderful modern statement on what we mean by inerrancy. We're not going to cover the whole Chicago Statement on Biblical Inerrancy, but we're certainly going to make use of it as we talk about these things. Um, I do want to read uh, the short statement. I apologize, I can't have it where you can see it here. But there's, there's a, a short statement that just kind of summarizes uh, the Chicago Statement on Biblical Inerrancy. Uh, and it's just five little statements. And then there's a whole bunch of affirmations and denials that gets into the details. And we're going to talk about some of those. But I want to just begin by reading the short statement here. Uh, so number one, God, who is himself truth and speaks truth only, has inspired Holy Scripture in order thereby to reveal himself to lost mankind through Jesus Christ as creator and Lord, redeemer and judge. Holy Scripture is God's witness to himself. So that's the first statement. Second one, Holy Scripture being God's own word, written by men, prepared and superintended by his spirit, is of infallible divine authority in all matters upon which it touches. It is to be believed as God's instruction in all that it affirms, obeyed as God's command in all that it requires, embraced as God's pledge in all that it promises. Number three, the Holy Spirit, Scripture's divine author, both authenticates it to us by his inward witness and opens our minds to understand its meaning. Number four, being holy and verbally God-given, Scripture is without error or fault in all its teaching, no less in what it states about God's acts in creation, about the events of world history, and about its own literary origins under God, than in its witness to God's saving grace and in individual lives. And finally, number five, the authority of Scripture is inescapably impaired if this total divine inerrancy is in any way limited or disregarded or made relative to a view of truth contrary to the Bible's own. And such lapses bring serious loss to both the individual and the church. So, that's kind of a just a, an introductory statement there to what we mean when we talk about um, inspiration and inerrancy. Now, the primary text for the doctrine of inspiration, the, the text where we get the term inspiration, is from 2 Timothy. Um, I'm sure many of you are familiar with it. Um, I can't put it on the screen, obviously, so uh, you're welcome to turn there in your Bible. We're going to spend a little bit of time there. 
um, 2 Timothy chapter 3, and we're going to look at verses 14 through 17 here. So uh, 2 Timothy 3, uh, beginning in 14, But as for you, continue in what you have learned, and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquitted or sorry, been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So the first thing to point out is that um, in verse 15 here, Paul refers to the Bible, to the scriptures, as the sacred writings. Um, so he's, you know, he's talking about that these are these are writings, and they're they're described as sacred. Um, so definitely a um, an idea of being from God and being being holy in that sense. Um, he also talks about uh, the basically the the power of scripture, uh, what it's able to do. Um, in verse 15, he says that it's able to make you wise for salvation. Uh, in verse 16, he says it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Um, in verse 17, uh, that you know that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Um, and so there we see what Scripture is able to do, and we see something of the purpose for which God gives Scripture. God gives scripture to us so that we can be wise for salvation, uh, so that we can be taught and reproved and corrected and trained in righteousness, that we can be complete, that we can be equipped uh, for every good work. Um, so God gives us scripture for these purposes. So that, that should give us some notion of the character of scripture. Um but the, the central thing here, as far as the, the doctrine of inspiration, is in verse 16, where it says, All scripture is breathed out by God. Um, many of your translations are going to say inspired uh, by God. Um, the, the Greek just literally means breathed out by God. Um, something like that. I'm not, I'm not great at pronouncing Greek words. But, but you know, it's, it's basically... Uh, you know, the word for God and the word for breath are just tied together there. So it's breathed out by God. Um, that's the idea, is that scripture is not, um, is not something that is just man-made. It's something that is actually breathed out by God. It's, it comes from God as the source. Um, <clears throat> so um, one thing that, that is important to understand um, is that sometimes we use the word inspiration in ways that are um, not necessarily, I'm not gonna say that they're not correct, but they're not not—they're not the ways that we should understand it when we're talking about the inspiration of scripture. Um, one thing is that it's important to understand that the scriptures are inspired, not the human authors of scripture. Um, many times we, we just kind of shorthand say, you know, that. Oh yeah, Paul was you know inspired, or you know we talk about the inspired authors of Scripture and stuff like that, and you know that's fine. But what we need to understand is that it's not really the authors who were inspired, but according to the biblical use of the term, it's actually the Scriptures themselves that are inspired. God used these people, but the Scriptures are the things that are inspired. 
Um, and some people have taken the idea of the authors being inspired to um, basically to downplay the authority of Scripture um, as if um, just, you know, the idea that, well, they were inspired, but, you know, they still made mistakes when they were writing. Um, and that's obviously not what we're talking about. It's actually the Scriptures themselves that are God-breathed that are inspired. Um, it's also uh, important that we understand that when we talk about the scriptures being inspired, we're not talking about that the scriptures are inspiring to the readers of scripture. Um, that's another misunderstanding that some people can have when they they might say, "Oh, yeah, I believe I believe in the inspiration of scripture. It's you know it's very inspiring when I read it. It doesn't mean it's free from error, but it's you know it's very inspiring to me." And that's that's not what we mean at all. I mean, we often use the term inspiring in that sense, um, you know, where you know, maybe there's maybe there's a you know a song we really like, and we might call it inspiring. Um, but the the reality is, when we're talking about the inspiration of Scripture, we really are talking about the character of Scripture um, in terms of it being breathed out by God. Any questions about that? Is that all all very clear? All right. Um, Another thing here in this text um, is that Paul specifically says that all Scripture is breathed out by God. Um, he's not um, limiting this to just some portions of Scripture. He's not saying, well, when the Scriptures talk about salvation, when they talk about the nature of God, uh, things like that, well, then they're inspired. But if they talk about history or science or things like that, well, then you know, then it isn't necessarily inspired in that case. Um, and again, that's something that, um, as people have attempted to attack the authority of the Bible, that's one of the areas that they've that they've gone after and said, well, you know, I can trust the Bible when it talks about, you know, how a person is saved, but uh, I don't have to believe that the Bible is actually, you know, correct when it talks about events in history. Um, but that will that will lead to all sorts of problems um, with our view of Scripture. And makes it very difficult if you uh, um, if you want to try to like parse out. It's like, well, what parts of the Bible are inspired and what parts are not? Um, and it really just comes down to what parts do you want to believe um, is is ultimately what it comes down to. So um, it's important that we follow what the Apostle Paul here says, and that all Scripture is inspired. Yeah, Ben. Well, I, I think it's kind of twisting. Uh something that is true about the scriptures and that is that there are like false teachings in the scripture mm -hmm. from false teachers that are recorded mm -hmm. and so you do have to be careful like right. that you don't take everything yes yeah you you don't you don't want to take just an isolated statement from scripture and say well this must be true because it's in scripture um we, we do need to understand contextually what we're reading and so um, and we're gonna we're gonna talk about that in future lessons as we specifically talk about what we do and don't mean by inerrancy um, in the uh, in the two lessons following. Uh, but yeah, it is true that the Bible records people making false statements. So those false statements don't don't then become true because they're in Scripture. So that's a good point. Then. Um, but <clears throat> all Scripture, properly interpreted, uh, is inspired by God. Um, one of the uh, one of the articles of the Chicago Statement. There's there's several articles that and they're in the form of of an affirmation and a denial. This is what we affirm. This is what we deny. They're all uh, structured that way. 
Um, and so Article 6 is particularly relevant to what we're looking at here. Um, it says, we affirm that the whole of Scripture and all its parts, down to the very words of the original, were given by divine inspiration. So there it's making it very clear that it's all of it down to the very words. Um, it does also have that statement in there of the original. And as we've talked about the history of how we've got the Bible, uh, how it's been copied, how there's been you know, corruption and copying, just like any other hand-copied book, um, and that it's you know and that we've been able to uh, restore it uh, to a sufficient degree that we know what the apostles said. Um, it is important that we understand that it's what they originally wrote, and if we have some copyist error that we you know think is right, then we, you know that isn't inspired. It's what the apostles actually uh, originally wrote, and it's also important as we talked about translation. It's the original that they wrote, not not our translations that are. Um, you know that that are that were given by inspiration. None of our translations were given by inspiration. So hopefully that's that's clear. The denial here it says we deny that the inspiration of Scripture can rightly be affirmed of the whole without the parts, or of some parts but not the whole. Um, and so then, as people have sought to attack the authority of the Word of God, um, they have they have approached it that way. It's like, oh yeah, I believe. I believe that the whole of Scripture was inspired, but there's parts of it that aren't really inspired. Um, or they might say, yeah, I believe parts of the Bible are inspired, but not all of it. So just different ways of people basically trying to get get around the idea that all of Scripture is the Word of God, and therefore we're obligated to believe it. Um, another passage that's very relevant Second uh, Peter chapter one, uh, verses nineteen through twenty-one. Second Peter chapter one, verses nineteen through twenty-one. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all that no prophecy of Scripture comes from comes from someone someone's own interpretation for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit um, now the the first thing I want to note here is is basically there in verse 20 it says no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation and then in verse 21, no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. What's what's being communicated there? What's Peter telling us? Well, you, you get people who will say, you know, Paul was biased against women, or, mm -hmm. you know, they'll talk about it as if it was he was throwing in his opinion mm -hmm. or his views on particular issues, right. and mm -hmm. this is speaking to that to say no that's not the case actually this was the Holy Spirit that led these men to, to write these things so it's not the words of men but it's the word of God right yeah so it speaks to the origin the origin right. is not human um, and uh, you know but men spoke from God by the Holy Spirit so the origin is God um, that's that really is the point here in this passage the origin is not human 
the origin is God. Um, that's the way that we need to understand Scripture. Scripture is not a human book. Um, it's a divine book. But there's also this statement here um, in, in verse 21 where it says, but men spoke. How do we, how do we um, reconcile that with the idea that Peter's very clearly expressing that, that, these, that, you know, that what Scripture says comes not from men but from God? Is the idea that humans are involved, right? There's there's a, a human agency in the creation of Scripture. Um, <clears throat> Jeremiah chapter one verse nine. You don't have to turn there. We're just going to mention it briefly. But it says, "Then the Lord put out His hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth." And so we see that when God proclaims His word, He uses men to do that it doesn't in any sense take away from the fact that the words are from god that that's the that's the origin that's the source they are the words of god but they do come through men and then again in the second peter passage in verse uh, uh verse 21 uh men spoke from god as they were carried along by the holy spirit um, and so we have this idea of being carried along um, you know, people have have done uh, studies in the Greek and um, have you know have have mentioned basically that this is the the same notion as if you were in a, a sailing ship and the the wind is blowing and you're basically just being pushed by the wind. In fact, there's an example of that in the Book of Acts um, where the same word is used, and it's basically the idea that you're just being driven along by wherever the wind wants to make you go. Um, and so men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is directing uh, what it is that men have said. Um, and so back again to the uh, Chicago Statement, uh, Article uh, 7 now. Uh, it says, we affirm that inspiration was the work in which God, by his Spirit, through human writers, gave us his word. The origin of Scripture is divine, and the mode of divine inspiration remains largely a mystery to us. And it says, we deny that inspiration can be reduced to human insight or to heightened states of consciousness of any kind. So the distinction that we're seeing here is that um, we, we need to maintain both the idea that God used men to write these things, but that the source is God. Um, it's not simply that God inspired these people, just brought them up to a, a level of understanding where um, they understood more, and then so they were able to write in a way that in some way communicated God's message to us, but was still left up to them to make you know errors. Uh, and then, of course, that leads it leads us to the point where we're left up to try to figure out where they were in error and where they were actually uh, speaking in the mind of God. Uh, but it's very much the idea that um, that the origin of Scripture is divine; that God is the author of the words, even though He is using human means. Um, so uh, another passage here, uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 and 11, 
concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. So here, Peter is talking about um, prophets in the Old Testament who prophesied about Christ. Um, Now, this is a very interesting passage when we consider these things. Um, Who is it that he's talking about this, this searching in this passage? The prophets who prophesied. Mm-hmm. It's the prophets who prophesied. And what what are they searching? Well, they were searching for who and when the Messiah would come. Okay. Um, that's the that's a correct answer. But my question actually is, what were they searching? Not really. Not what were they searching for? Not not what was their their you know what were they looking for? But what were they searching? What's the what's the field they were looking in? Oh, the scriptures. The scriptures. More specifically, their own writings, right? Yeah. Now, when you think about that, I mean, I'm sure that that uh, all of us have written something down at some point. Um, have you ever gone searching through something you wrote, trying to gain new information? Probably not, right? I mean, you might be checking it to make sure you said it right, or maybe you don't remember what you wrote and you want to, like, search it and refresh your memory, but you're not going to gain new information from something you wrote. Um, I mean, it's like, well, it came from me, so it's like I already have all that information in my head. But what we see here is that these that these prophets are searching their own prophecies, attempting to learn from them. So they themselves recognize that the things that they said contain information that's not from them. Um, and it's like they they put it down and they don't really fully understand what it is that they even said. And so they're searching, you know, their own writings, trying to pull out what is it that God's talking about? Um, who, who is this Christ going to be? What's this going to look like? Um, so, I mean, I, th- I think that's just a, a fascinating statement because that's something that we would never do with our own writings. If if we just wrote something, it's like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to search my own writings looking for new truth. Um so, um, definitely an, an interesting situation. Now, when we when we talk about this, um, you know, the the Chicago statement says that the way that this worked is largely a mystery, um, and that is the case. Uh, but we can say a few things. Um, at times, uh, God dictated every word to the human authors. Uh, just an example: the beginning of the Ten Commandments, uh, Exodus chapter twenty. Uh, just. I put verses 1 through 3 on the slide. Uh, and God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. So it just begins, and it's like it's God is saying these exact words, and Moses just writes down this exactly this is what God said. Um, just so basically just a dictation of exactly what God said. But not all of Scripture is that way. Um, at other times, the human authors wrote according to their own style. Um, one really good example is the introduction uh, to the Gospel of Luke. Um, this is uh, something that, like, when you read it, it's obviously not just God dictating to Luke. Um, so I'm just going to read the first four verses here. Uh, Luke says, Inasmuch 
As many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. And so there you see Luke. Um, he's not just writing what God dictated to him. He's like, he's saying, look, I've, I've examined this. I've, I've studied the sources. I've interviewed people. And I'm trying to put this all together in an orderly account. Um, it just, I mean, it's very clear that this is not just God dictating words. Um, but the, the thing that we have to understand is, is that even with these two extremes of styles of writing, in both instances, the origin of every word is God and not man. So we see, you know, just the, the personalities and the styles of the authors of Scripture coming out in much of what they write. Uh, but still, it's all from God, every last word. Um, Article 8 of the uh, Chicago Statement says, we affirm that God, in his work of inspiration, utilized the distinctive personalities and literary styles of the writers whom he had chosen and prepared. We deny that God, in causing these writers to use the very words that he chose, overrode their personalities. Uh, and that's often a charge that comes up. It's like, well, if, you know, if, if God actually inspired every word, if we really have to take all of this as the word of God, uh, you know, he would have just just overrode their personalities. You wouldn't see any distinction in the different authors of Scripture. You wouldn't see, uh, you know, Luke discussing the fact that he did research on stuff like that. You just wouldn't see that. Um, it would all sound like, you know, the Ten Commandments being dictated. Um, you know, and so since it doesn't all sound like that, well, then it must not all actually be the Word of God. Uh, but even though we don't understand exactly how it happened, uh, is you know just part of God's supernatural work with mankind. Um, God was able to preserve the personalities and styles of all the authors of Scripture while still making it where every single word that they wrote down is the Word of God. So, um, somewhat hard to wrap our minds around, but that is what we see when we examine the the the, the topic from Scripture. Um, so I want to look at a little bit of biblical language. Um, one thing that we see was as we look at the way that, that the Bible speaks, uh, the writings of men are attributed to the Holy Spirit. Um, that's something that we see a handful of places. Um, Acts chapter 4, verse 25, uh, sorry, verses 25 and 26, um, says, uh, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? And the kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. And so here we see, and again, I apologize, it's not, not up here where you could see it, obviously, but we see that um, it's something that's coming through the mouth of David, um, but it's the Holy Spirit who is saying these things. And so scripture speaks of the writings of just individual men as if they are the words of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, 
Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. Um, There he's quoting Psalm 95, uh, verses 7 through 8. So again, it's attributed to the Holy Spirit. Um, Another thing that we see uh, is Scripture is said to speak when God speaks. Um, Romans uh, chapter 9, verse 17 says, For the Scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. And there he's quoting from Exodus chapter 9, verse 16. So um, in, in Exodus 9, 16, who is speaking in that passage? Does anybody remember? Where it says, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Who says that? In Exodus. The Lord. Hmm? The Lord says that. But what Paul says in Romans is the scripture says. And so speaking, you know, just using that term, the scripture is just equivalent to uh, God speaking. Another example, uh, Galatians chapter 3, verse 8. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you all the nations uh, and sorry, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So who is who is uh, providing that quotation? Or sorry, who who is who is speaking in that quotation? In you shall all the nations be blessed. It's God, right? It's God speaking to Abraham. But it says the scriptures, and you know, the scriptures in this case even are foreseeing. You know, the scriptures are foreseeing, they're preaching, but it's it's God. You know, it's God who is foreseeing. It is God who is preaching. Um, but it's the scriptures. So just an equation that's being made there. Um, a little later in uh, Galatians uh, 3:22, it says, "But the scriptures imprisoned everything under sin, so that the promise by faith in." Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. So again, is it a book that's imprisoning? I mean, in a sense, it's it's God who's imprisoning. The scriptures are imprisoning everyone under sin, and that God is doing that. God is the one who has set it up so that everyone is under sin, uh, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. And we also want to consider... Um, Jesus's view of Scripture. That's probably an important thing to consider, right? You know, how did how did Jesus view Scripture? Um, did Jesus view Scripture as the Word of God? Um, Matthew chapter 22, uh, verses 29 through 32. Um, I'll go ahead and turn there. We're going to spend a little bit of time there. Matthew 22, uh, verses 29 through 32. It says, "But Jesus answered them, You are wrong." Because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was said to you by God? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. So here, um, this is, you're probably familiar with this passage, this is this is Jesus uh, in his little controversy with the Sadducees where they're you know, trying to trying to catch him on on believing in a resurrection. Um, 
what was what was the source of these people's error? Has Jesus given us an answer to that? You neither know the scriptures nor the power of God. Mm-hmm. Right? So the source of their error is their ignorance of the scripture and their ignorance of the power of God. That probably says something about Jesus' view of scripture, right? Um, and to whom did God speak the words of verse 32? God, it's God speaking there in verse 32. That's the quotation. Who's, who's God speaking to? Anybody remember the source of that quotation? Is this... Uh, Moses? Yeah, Moses. Moses. Mm-hmm. He's speaking to Moses. All right. Is there another answer to this question? Who's God speaking to? Look at Jesus' oh, words. Yeah. It's set to you. Yeah. So the Sadducees. God speaking to the Sadducees. So even in this passage from, from Exodus, uh, where God is speaking to Moses, in that same passage, God is speaking to the Sadducees. So just in the in the written scriptures, God is speaking to this group of people who lived hundreds of years later. Um that's probably a, a pretty high view of scripture, wouldn't you say? Um, you know, Jesus is saying, God is speaking to you through these words. Um, another passage, um, Luke chapter 24, verses 25 to 27. This is the, uh, uh, the road to Emmaus uh, incident here. Um, beginning in verse 25, um, and he is... is Speaking of Jesus here, and he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So, what does this tell us about Jesus' view of scripture? Moses. Sorry? Begins with Moses. Yeah. Yeah, begins with Moses. So he's got he's got the he's got the same canon we do. Yeah. Anything else? I mean he talks about it uh, as if it's very clear. Mm-hmm. And under I mean, it's one of those you haven't been paying attention if you didn't see this. Right. Right. So he's he's actually um, he's actually um, trying to think what, what word I'm looking for criticizing. Um, it's, not, it's not the word. He's in a sense he's rebuking them, right? Yes. For their failure to listen to what God has said to them in the Scripture, um, he he's he's viewing it as like you have a responsibility to listen to what Scripture has said. Now, obviously, they're just you know they're confused. They you know they they don't understand fully what it is. But Jesus is basically saying to them, "You have an obligation to listen to what God has said to you, um, all the way from Moses all the way through the Scriptures." Um, 
you know, these are these are the things that that God has said concerning me throughout all the scriptures, and you have an obligation to listen to those things. Um, now, many more things can be said, and, and as we as we look more into the doctrine of inerrancy, we're going to we're going to see a, a number of things that Jesus uh, said concerning the the scriptures, and you know how much of the scriptures he viewed as actually true. Uh, but uh, you know, clearly the answer is all. But you know, there's lots of there's lots of nice examples that he uh, he didn't limit it to just you know theological statements in the Old Testament. Um, but he, he definitely had just a very high view of Scripture, that it was the Word of God, that it speaks to us today, that we have an, have an obligation to listen to it. Um, so what, what if, you know, we consider the, the many people that attack the authority of the Word of God and say, well, it's not really inspired or it's not all inspired, um, you know, what, what, let's just say, for example, that those things are true, um, and that we you know that the Bible just isn't really fully the Word of God, um, and we consider Jesus's view of Scripture. Well, that would mean that Jesus was wrong about Scripture. What would be the implication of that? That he's not God. If he's wrong about Scripture, he's not God. Uh huh. Yeah. Well, we have no salvation. Then, yeah. Because his sacrifice is no longer a worthy sacrifice. Mm -hmm. And why is that? Well, because he's sinned. Right. You know. Yeah. So he's he's not God. We've lost the divinity of Christ. He's not sinless. He's he's stating falsehood. Um, the atonement's gone, and Christianity's gone. Right. If Jesus had an incorrect view of Scripture, Christianity's gone. Um. You know, and there are people that will try to say, well, you know, Jesus was just, you know, he was, you know, a product of his age. He, you know, he just, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's all part of the incarnation. You know, he became, he became human. So he, you know, had the same limited, false view of things, um, you know, that, that, uh, that the people of his day did, you know. So, yeah, they thought the scripture was the, was the word of God. And he just fell into the same mistake. But we know better. Um, I mean, that... Friends, that is the end of Christianity if we go that direction. Um, we need to have the same view of Scripture that Jesus did, um, that it is the Word of God, the very Word of God, that it is uh, complete and perfect and infallible. So just as we come to a close of, of just the topic of looking at inspiration, um, it's just it's important that we understand that if the Bible is the inspired word of God, um, then the thing that must be true of it is that it is inerrant. I mean, this, it just flows from it. If there are errors in the Bible, then it can't be the word of God. Um, consider um, Psalm 19. Um, I'm going to read verses 7 through 10. Uh, Psalm 19 says... Uh, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the dirtings of the honeycomb. So what we see 
just in what the Bible claims about God and his word is that it's pure, it's perfect. Um, it's, it's something that we should reverence. Um, and, I mean, just, again, if, if these things aren't true, basically we should just all just pack up and, you know, find something else to do with our Sundays. Um, the, the, there's, there's really no room for Christianity where you reverence the Bible but don't view it as being the very word of God. Um, and Christians throughout the centuries have defended this view of Scripture, even though some people have said, oh, this is a very modern view of Scripture. It's not. This is, this is the historical view of what Scripture is. Um, and so as we uh, finish our, our final two lessons um, in this study of how we got the Bible, we're going to dive in a little bit more specifically into the doctrine of inerrancy and just look at that. Um, in a little more detail, but um, but inerrancy it really does just flow from inspiration. That it's because it's God that is speaking that the Word of God is going to be completely free from error. Any final questions, thoughts, anything? All right, let's let's close with prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your Word. Lord, we thank you that it is pure, it is clean, and it. It enlightens our eyes. It, it grants us wisdom. Um, Lord, I just pray that we would uh, desire your word uh, more than all riches, more than all pleasures. Uh, God, that we would just be uh, a people who just study your word in detail, that we meditate on it, that it uh, truly is um, really the, the, the source of life for us. Um, and God, that we would have a, a fuller understanding of how we got your word, how it is that you have um, presented it to, that you have, you have used men to put your word out there, and that it, has, it is completely without error, and that you have preserved it through the ages in a way that we are able to know your mind, we're able to understand it. Uh, God, that we would be able to defend your word against those who... Uh, seek to uh, just denigrate the authority of your word. Um, and God, that we would live our lives as if we really believed that your word uh, was the ultimate authority. Uh, that we would not set ourselves over what your word says, but that we would humbly submit to what you have told us. And um, God, just that you would, by your word, continue to transform us, to sanctify us, uh, and conform us to the image of Christ. I pray in his name. Amen. Amen.